All right. I know uh, I know that last Sunday we talked about how things in our world were a challenge. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to say that the problems of our world got wrapped up this week, so we don't have much to talk about. No, that's not how this works, right? How about this? Let's play a little game. I feel blank when life is hard and painful. How do you feel when life is hard and painful? What words go onto the blank in your life these days? Kids, maybe when uh, tensions fly because you've been around your parents and siblings a lot lately. Adults, maybe you've been doom scrolling, which is a phrase that I only learned this week. I don't even have to explain it because you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> It's not helpful, but when, when life is hard and painful, when, when you're worried about finances, when you're struggling, what, what goes in this blank? You can, I mean, we can be interactive here. Frustrated. Frustrated, sad. What else came out? Someone say lonely. Angry. Yeah. <laughs> Frustrated, sad. Angry, lonely, discouraged, exhausted, hopeful. Hey, bad. I understand. All right. So, how about? How about this? You tell me. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the other by the time I finish this song? Great joy. And I heard, I heard some inklings of this here, so it's not fully not like the other, but great joy is not the typical way that you finish a sentence like this. And so, so I, I mentioned that, uh, or that you start a sentence like this, I mentioned that we were going to look at the book of James and what happens in the book of James and how radical and different that is from the worldview that we often get. And last week we talked about how James was so deeply changed by Jesus that his language, even the way he wrote, sounded like Jesus through another voice. Sounded like the voice of Jesus, but it's in its own way. And so James essentially paraphrases his brother Jesus throughout his entire book in different ways. And now Jesus had made a promise to his disciples um, in John 16 when they got distressed near the end of his life. And he said, for a while I'm going to be gone 
and there's going to be heartache, and there's going to be sorrow, and it's going to be a very, very difficult time. There will be a time of loss and grieving. But then he says in verse 22 of John 16, But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So Jesus has told his disciples that there's going to come a time in the midst of the hardship that they're facing where they're going to be able to be joyful and nothing will be able to take that away from them. Nothing at all. And it's, there's a permanence to the statement of Jesus. No one will be able to take away your, your joy. And that joy is literally the same joy that we use in celebration and blessing and everything like that in the scriptures. So, uh, so, so maybe it's no surprise that James, the brother of Jesus, years later, as he leads this, this young church, he's leading the movement in Jerusalem, and, and he begins his letter with the same word, joy. Here they are, years later, they are struggling to get this movement off the ground. They're being persecuted, they're, they're being discouraged, or they're feeling discouraged. They're trying to hold on to hope. But life is so hard. And James writes, after he says his welcome, James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, but honestly, at first glance, a verse like this makes my stomach churn a little bit because we've spent so much time talking about how we can be honest about our emotions. And many of us have been a part of church movements that are often kind of like, hey, buck up. Like, you shouldn't ever be, able, you shouldn't ever be sad. Everything's fine. And, and we sense that there's something in there that's not real, that's not true, that doesn't give voice to the pain of the Psalms, the lament. And so at first glance, something like this, if, if we're just going to be a little less holy for a moment, it seems like James is kind of being annoying, maybe a little bit pretentious with a statement like this. Consider it great joy whenever life is hard, whenever you face struggles and trials. It, you should be joyful, folks. Why the sad face? So what we should ask as Christ followers is we should ask the question, what's going on here? So good. Glad you asked that. Let's figure it out. Uh, the word that is translated as consider is a really interesting um, word. It's called hegemai. And, and the word for consider is an accounting term. So for those of you who are analytical, the complete opposite of me, I don't do hardly any analytical stuff with LifePath. I leave that to Melanie. Melanie, I hope you're having a great time on your vacation and not watching this right now. But Melanie's the one that does all of the accounting with all of the columns and the spreadsheets. But this word for consider means to take something with authority and put it into a column, into your accounting column. So, so what, what James is writing is saying, when you, in, in your tick marks of things that you're experiencing, when you experience the hard stuff, there is reason to take that and place it in the column of joy. On all of the things that this means, there is, there is adequate reason to place it in the column of joy. Interestingly, the same word also is, is used for authority. In fact, it was uh, the, the same word that was used to talk about an imperial governor, this hegemai. You've, maybe you've heard of the word like hegemony, or I don't even know how to pronounce that word. But, um, but this, this idea of, of power and governance. And so what he's saying is, with authority, this emotion of joy can be, can be, can be experienced if you take your feelings 
and understand them through a certain lens while you go through difficult times. So there's, there's power and there's placement in a word like this, which is really interesting to us. Uh, but, but we have to ask the question of what does it mean if James suggests that there's adequate reason to see our struggles through a lens of joy and that we have the power to change how we think about these things? Why, why should we be able to delight when you're frustrated, when you're struggling with power over a world that is at, constantly at war with itself, when you're struggling with your own temptations, when, uh, when there's, there's so much brokenness that it feels overwhelming to you. Whatever the case is, with whatever the challenge is, why, why should we be able to, to consider it joy? And so, so James goes on, and he says in verse 3 and 4, uh, because you know that the testing of your faith creates perseverance. It produces this thing called perseverance, okay? Um, and let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So what James begins to say here is that there's something happening that, that says not that trials and challenges are, not that the pain in our life is good in and of itself, but that it can be facing them. You notice how he says the trials aren't joyful, but consider it joy when you face them. I think that's a really interesting turn of phrase, and who knows if James was thinking about it in these details or not, but turning and facing the trials. When not, not that the, these things that are bad are good things, these painful things are good, but when you face them, there is an opportunity for something good and beautiful and great joy because what it eventually leads to is a newfound strength, a newfound perseverance. It's about what God can do in our character if we understand that these are opportunities to be shaped by Jesus. So this is not a guilt-tripping message that says pain, and, pain is good, you should be thanking God for your pain. No, it's, it's about the result of what God can do with it. The, the idea that our struggles can become a reason for joy because deep down in like the garden of our soul, something good can grow and be cultivated through the most difficult circumstances. It's about being able to get stronger and eventually the end result of all of this, it could be a reason for your faith to actually increase, not decrease. That's the opposite of beating somebody down with a passage like this and telling them that it's good that they're in pain or that it's God's will that they're in pain. In fact, later on in this section, James goes out of the way in verse 13 to say, it's not God tempting you, by the way. It's not God testing you. That's not how this whole thing works. We're dragged away by our own fragile and, self and, and selfish hearts. So we don't have to act like God's bringing the pain. There's plenty of pain that we inflict on ourselves and on those around us. So, so God is actually the author of all that is light and good, not the opposite. Uh, so, so James reminds his readers that God is never the author of evil, but of all good things, most notably giving us spiritual life and depth and rebirth. So this is not an explanation for pain, but the redemptive possibility of it because it creates perseverance. Uh, kids, you have your uh, pipe cleaner out, right? So, and the rest of you can tune into this because there's, there's value um, in it regardless. So if you keep your pipe cleaner nice and straight, and you just kind of rub your fingers along, along it, you feel how it's kind of like soft and smooth? It's kind of easy, like, like the, the moments in life where there's not much getting you down, right? Where it's just kind of smooth and easy. So if you, if you bend and kink up your, your pipe cleaner a little bit and mess it up, try, try to do that same thing, and you feel all those bumps 
That's, that's like when you get into a fight with your family or, or when you're really sad because school's not going to be like what you thought it was going to be. And, and so there's all of this pain. Does one of my children need an extra one? There you go. Um, I got two. So, so, um, so when you feel like that, there's this, there's this kind of awkward bumpiness to it. So what I want you to do, though, now is I want you to grab it and I want you to wrap it around your finger all the way, real tight. And now what you'll find is you, by the way, you can't do this if you don't have something to wrap your string around. If there's, if there's no, no foundation inside, you can't really make a good coil. But when you do, you can make this really kind of a neat spring, right? Something that's resilient, that's strong, and if you feel it, it actually feels soft and smooth again in a new way. So the idea of, of God walking with us through really challenging times is that what we can do is we can let everything that is sad that happens to us, we can let it destroy us. We can let it make us more sad, or we can let it make us more angry at the world, or we can cling to Jesus, and when we do, we find that there is newfound strength and newfound resiliency, and we can even be able to bounce back but also grow as a person and change. But that can only happen if we are wrapped around the foundation of, of God. Uh, as we think about this, you know, when we choose to bring Jesus, to bring Jesus into our trials, there is a strengthening that happens. Uh, we, we get to have joy in the struggle because Jesus makes us stronger, almost in the spiritual way that pain in our physical lives can create strength if we lean into them in the right way. Uh, I'm a, I'm a cross-country coach or at least I was before COVID hit. And when I work with runners that are middle schoolers, sometimes the first time that they've ever done distance running is with me, and they're getting ready to do decades of distance running for the rest of their life because some of them will fall in love with the sport, but they've never done it before. And so when we do our first hill workout, kids are chugging up the hill, and by the second or third hill, they're experiencing so much pain in their legs that they think that it's just the worst thing ever, and they don't want to go on. And what I encourage them by saying is, listen, all the pain that you're going through now becomes translated into strength tomorrow. There's literally micro tears that are happening in your muscles that if you are able to do it, not by pushing yourself over a limit that you can't come back from, but by being willing to lean in and understand that the difficulty now is redeemable. There's beauty and strength that can happen from something like that. Just like the soreness of our physical bodies eventually leads to growth in muscle, the difficulty of walking through situations that we wish we didn't have to go through often create a resiliency in us if we learn to trust Jesus' transformative power in every single moment. Think about, for just a moment, friends, think about the practical gift of becoming resilient and, and growing in maturity. I love that the idea here is that when we become more people that can persevere more, we can be more mature and complete, and that's why we can have joy. Think about the gift. I know some of you have walked through things that are so difficult that it's not even worth bringing up. As long as I say you've walked through something very hard, you probably know what I'm talking about. But some of you, years ago, this thing happened to you that you would never wish on anybody. But since that time, you've met somebody else who's beginning to walk through the same thing. And every time that we are going through the most difficult moments in our life, one of the first things that we say is, I don't know if I can make it. A breakdown within your family, a life-crippling disease, I don't know if I can make it. To have somebody else on the other side 
who has been shaped by Jesus in the midst of it and says, listen, God is with you. God will continue to be with you. And I can attest to that because I'm a changed person because I had to walk through it and I can encourage you. Think of the gift that is from your own maturity process towards somebody else who needs encouragement. Think about what a gift that is to serve. So the things that are the worst things that you've gone through are never beyond redemption by God because God can use them not just to strengthen you, but to use you as an encourager to somebody else. It's a very simple message, but there is such incredible truth in it if we choose to lean into Jesus during these times, if we choose to, to persevere and to keep walking forward. Uh, as, as we place our struggles, um, oh, by the way, a strengthening faith, we just have to talk about this for a moment, it doesn't look like the world's view of strength. It doesn't look like toughing it out all the time. It doesn't look like, always look on the bright side of life. You know, like, that's not, it's not, this is not Life of Brian stuff, for those of you that are my Python fans. This is, this is about saying that, that it's not just being tough that makes strong faith. It's about trusting God's character throughout that strengthens our faith. That's why the next section that we get here in verse 5 through 8 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, remember, hardest times in life, what do we say? I don't know if I can get through it, and I just don't know what to do now. How many of us during times of horrible emotional heartache or looking at our world now say, I don't even know what to do. How do I handle this? You know what that is? That's a lack. That's, that's acknowledging all pain is a lack. A lack of health, a lack of happiness, stress is a lack of peace. So everything that, everything that we struggle with is all based on a lack. And, then, and so James writes, if you lack wisdom, meaning if you lack knowing how to go forward, bring it to God. Because God does two things. And here's reasons for joy. Second reasons for joy. The first one is because it creates perseverance. But the second is God will give generously to all and without finding fault. One and two. So number one, God gives generously, meaning that if you ask for wisdom, that's one of the promises the scriptures give. If we try to say, I'm going to figure this out on my own, that's one thing. But if we say, Lord, I don't know how to move forward, Help me walk in the right way. Help me walk in the light. God gives us enough of his character not to have all of the answers, but to have a sense of what it looks like to continue on in a Christ-like manner. God will give us the wisdom. That is something that we can bank on. But God gives us the wisdom without finding fault. People say that the book of James does not have enough grace in it because it's all about works and action. But let me tell you, to say that God gives generously without finding fault is a statement that is so drenched in grace that it's impossible to ignore. What it's saying is when we struggle, when we stumble along, God's not looking at us saying, oh, I can't believe you can't get it right. God is looking at us saying, I'm not faulting you for your finiteness. I'm not faulting you for the fact that you don't know how to go forward. Jesus literally said, I didn't come to call the healthy, but the ones who are willing to acknowledge that they are sick. This is a parallel to that statement of Jesus right here. And God will give wisdom if you cry out to God. It's so simple, friends. Sometimes I look at the scriptures and I'm like, I feel like I need to make this complicated so it gets more profound. It's so simple. If you need wisdom in your hard times, God will give the wisdom. And it's, it's literally one of the promises that we are told to bank on in, the, in the, the New Testament. 
but without fault. There's no condemnation to our struggle, even if it's a struggle with sin, even if it's a struggle where, oh, this selfish attitude or this bad, this behavior that is destructive keeps coming back into my life. Ask God for wisdom, and God gives freely without saying, oh, you should know better. No, instead he says, thank you for coming to me. I will help you. I will help you persevere through this over and over and over again. Now, now the next section uh, that we're just going to hit for a moment is, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave, all right, um, of the sea, and it's blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty intense statement, and we're not going to dig into doubt, but there's various types of doubt in the scriptures. One type of doubt is actually a a subcategory of faith. You can't have faith if you don't have some doubt because that's what faith is. It's trusting what you don't know. Okay, so the opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's absolute certainty, Um, or at least at some points it is. And so we walk in faith, meaning that we walk trusting God when we don't have all the answers. But there's also a way of doubting that the scriptures kind of condemn, or at least they say this is destructive type of doubt. And that's the kind of doubting where the double, double-minded is literally two-souled in, 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 the, uh, in the Greek. It's, it's a person with two souls, one soul that belongs to God and one soul that belongs to whatever. And so if you've ever been shopping uh, and there's a, line, there's a bunch of lines in the grocery store, how many of you have ever done the line hopping thing where you pick the shortest line and you go over to it and then you find out that the dude in front of you has 124 different items that he's about to purchase? And they're all really small, so they all fit like in the bottom of his cart. And then you go back, and then you find out that that guy forgot something, and he turns his cart and walks back, and then you jump over to this line, only to find out that that person forgot their wallet. And you go back and forth between all these lines, and if you just would have stayed put the first time, you would have been able to get through checkout. Or the same thing happens when you're trying to get into a sporting event, that kind of thing. That's the sort of talk that he's saying. He's saying, like, if if you're saying, well, I want to trust God, but, you know, I'm not really going to bank on that, so I'm just going to go my own way. And, and, you know, like Google is great, but Google is not God. Google won't provide wisdom. It'll just provide reinforcement of whatever you want to already believe. Going to God for wisdom is saying, I will trust the slow process of being shaped enough by Jesus to walk well in the world. And there's joy in being able to do that. There's joy in saying, you know what? Jesus is going to continue to be my guide. Even when it looks like the only way you solve problems is with violence. Jesus is going to continue to be my guide. I will continue to be a peacemaker. Even though it seems like what I really want to do is just fight my enemy with the way that everybody else does. Name calling and undermining and ripping them apart. And nope. I'm going to follow the way of Jesus And I'm going to love and pray for those who I struggle the most with. This is the radical nature of the kingdom. Okay. And so so it means that we trust the character of God consistently. Instead of deciding that I'm going to maybe trust God's character if he does what I want him to do. If God does what I want him to do. But then maybe not. In the other side. So so this is is what it means to be double-minded and just thrown to and fro. According to the scriptures. So... So the rest of the passage is quite, is quite simple, and we're just going to walk through it so that you can understand this first section as, as we're going. Uh, he continues to talk about the struggle, but he says, like Jesus, again, parallel to Jesus in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor. 
Believers in humble circumstances uh, ought to take pride in their high position, should be blessed, should be happy in their high position because how God values them. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. He's essentially saying, if you're rich, you should at least acknowledge that your richness has no value in the kingdom. Go ahead, take pride in in the humiliation of being rich. It's really fascinating. Um, Since they will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one, however, who who perseveres under trial, because having withstood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, nobody should say, God's tempting me. Remember, we talked about this. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person's tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire. Then after that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. But don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from God above, coming from the Father of heavenly lights who doesn't change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through his word of truth that we might be a first fruits of all that have been created. The final reminder is that God is the author of all that's good and doesn't change like the craziness of our lives do. He's constantly good. He will shape you into goodness as well. He's already given you the gift of life so that joy is always available. I'm going to end with a, uh, a little story that I came across from a conversation with our pastoral team a few weeks ago. In the late poet and activist Maya Angelou's memoir, I Know Why the Caged Bird uh, Sings, she tells this story where she experiences seeing her community of cotton pickers and small shop owners head over to a midweek tent gathering to worship at church. And her mom said, "Um, we're going home to get cleaned up to go to the revival meeting. And this girl, Maya, who's only eight or nine at the time, says, go to church? In that cloud of weariness, not go home and lay those tortured uh, bones in a feather bed. Someone else pipes up. I know what you mean, Sister Williams. Got to feed the soul just like you feed the body. So they go. And in the tent that night, young Maya wonders this. Would God the Father allow his only son to mix with this crowd of cotton pickers and maids, washerwomen and handymen? I knew he sent his spirit on Sundays to the church. But after all, that was a church. And the people had all day Saturday to shuffle off the cloak of work and sin and despair. So she watches and she listens. Then the congregation, led by Mrs. Duncan, flew into, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. It was sung at a faster clip than the usual one in the CME church. But at that tempo, it worked. There was a joy about the tune. It changed the meaning of the sad lyrics. When the darkness appear and the night groweth near and my life is almost gone, there seemed to be an abandon which suggested that as with all of those things, it should be a time for great rejoicing. Why is there great rejoicing? Because it's in those moments that God comes near. When God takes our hands, and leads us on and helps us stand when we're tired, when we're weary. It's in those moments that we have no choice but to cry out for mercy and for rescue and to cry out for God to come near. Let's be humbly inspired by those who have suffered far, far more than we have. 
and have been shaped by joy still because of God's rescuing character. We can rejoice because the presence of God is never far from us and that God will transform our pain into perseverance that can eventually be used to love the world. This is joy reversed, right? We like to think about joy as good things happening to us, but God has happened to us, (laughs) and God is good. And so there's always joy available. So rest in the idea that God has happened to you. And so good happening to you all the time, irrelevant. God has happened to you. Your trials can be placed in the category of joy because God will never leave or forsake you. So um, be unafraid today to place your struggles in that joy category and fix our eyes on Jesus. Be given perseverance and be given wisdom. Be grown into maturity and by God's love and strength, be ready to love your neighbors so very, very well as a result of how you've been changed. Let's just sit with Jesus for one moment. Lord, some of, these, uh, some of these teachings, they challenge us because when we're weary and when we're worn out and when we're frustrated and when we're struggling, the last thing that we want to do is put on a happy face. But that's not what you invite us to do, Lord. You invite us to rest in you and remind us that there is joy in that grace. So help us, Lord. Help me in my discouragement. Help my brothers and sisters in front of me in their discouragement. Help those who are sitting on couches or watching on cell phones who are a part of this community that has been created to love in your love. Help each one of us today. Help us to see things through the lens of your maturing, redemptive power. Amen.